0: Hey, this is Vikram Panchal from the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm so thrilled you could be joining me today. So buckle up your seatbelt and get ready for some fresh, actionable content coming your way right now. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for Lead Your Life. I'm so excited to be introducing our guest for today. His name is Jared Thurman and we're gonna be speaking about the creative gene. Now being creative as a leader is absolutely vital If you want to stay on top of your game. Jared, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you're doing right now and your passions, your interests. Wow, okay,
1: Uh, let's see, my wife and I and our little girl, she's about two, we live on a few acres northwest of Atlanta, Georgia and Atlanta claims to be I think still the busiest airport in the world. A lot of direct flights everywhere so that's nice but uh, we got four seasons on our little homestead farm here, we got tons of birds, chickens, ducks, turkeys, miniature, pretty much everything else. Miniature donkeys, miniature goats. We've got a whole bunch of alpacas, miniature horses. So, yeah, it's quite a lot of fun. We moved out here a few years ago and, boy, wish we'd done it a lot sooner. So, it's an absolute blast. Yeah, but over the years, I've I've uh, had a passion for business and being mission-driven. And so, I've, I've had my hand in different food companies uh, and some long-term care community development some nonprofit work uh, we had some juice bars in Atlanta a friend of mine and I for a number of years and learned a lot so so yeah just stay busy so yeah life life is busy and and I've been pastoring a church in the last couple of years so that's been a new adventure maybe that was on the bucket list I didn't know but that's been exciting too so yeah I love love this topic that we're going to talk about today Awesome, Jared.
0: And, you know, just in the little bit of time you've had with us, you've explained like a lot of things of what you've already done, but very succinctly, I'm curious to know, because I find you to be a pretty creative, uh, interesting kind of person, as in, You've done so many things that don't seem to be related at all. And, you know, you said you've worked in juice bars, you've run those kind of businesses, you've done uh, health-related challenges for people all around the world. We've written books. The most recent project you're working on was called Love and War. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that project and how it got started, you know, what got you interested in this and what your involvement in all of this was.
1: Yeah, Love and War was exciting. It's a 10-part series anyone can watch for free online, Love and War Story. or we have a book on Amazon that can be picked up. It's it's basically the same thing. The the story and visual is the story and writing. But Love and War was born out of, I really wanted to have a way. I always thought if I had two hours to sit with somebody at lunch and they just said, hey, tell me about how you view life. What's your worldview? How do you view good, evil, selfishness, love, kindness? So, I started to think, all right, how would you tell the story? The Bible is not written in chronological order. It kind of starts with, and now the earth is, exists and it's alive and there's life. And but you start to realize like, wait a second, this snake that seems to deceive this woman and then the man and well, where'd the snake come from? And so, you know, you get halfway through the book and you start to read in like Isaiah and Ezekiel. Oh, okay. The snake. Okay. He, he's a being that existed in paradise and you know, you get all these different things in the story. So, I thought I'd want to tell like we do good stories today in book form or film form, tell it as it unfolded. So, Love and War was basically, where did this struggle between love and war, love and selfishness, when did it begin? How did it get to the earth? What's it been like through history, these two principles contending for supremacy? And then uh, what does it look like in our day? Where does this story end? You know, as, as we're looking at the billionaires in the world, is our only hope to colonize Mars? It is quite fascinating to, you know, look at Richard Branson and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and literally the richest, most experienced people on our planet are kind of casting a vision. Our only hope is to get off the planet, while others are saying, well, the only hope is to save the planet and stop polluting it. And so, yeah, I think it's a fascinating time. A lot of people are asking, you know, what, what does the future hold? And this is a new take on, on maybe an old story, but it was a lot of fun and a lot of people have seen it and really been challenged with the thoughts presented in it. That's awesome. And I've had a chance to watch the series
0: as well. I highly recommend it to anyone who's listening today. Your involvement, obviously, you were the main speaker for this and uh, you were the presenter behind this. Were you involved in writing the script? Did you have a team working with you? And I guess the more important question is how does someone who's, you know, watching Love and War or some of the other projects you've been involved in how do you take a creative concept and turn it into a reality? Like, how do you even go about doing that?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So it's, you know, with, with creatives and creative work, you have to know you, you really attach yourself to it. It's like you're married to it. Uh, it's like your baby. And so it's been, it was a good lesson for me because having been on the business end of things, if some graphic designer submits all this work and you're like, oh, I just don't like it. I think it's ugly. Boy, you are like crushing their dreams. Like you're killing their puppy in front of them. <laughs> and so I attached myself to a lot of the writing. So yeah, I did the writing. I, I put together like 200 pages of research and then started to write it and just narrowed it down and tried to get it down to, like 15 minutes on average per episode. And I thought, boy, there's so much to tell. How do you do this? But I thought, people don't have much time. They're not going to give much time. And, you know, we've got exploding cars in it and all this cool footage. But the process, you know, I actually originally intended to make it more of a feature type experience and fundraise. And But I got some Hollywood writers that I paid to give me feedback on the script. And overall, the script uh, feedback was, uh, this is terrible. This is no order. It doesn't make sense. You could never pull this off budgetarily, like all this negative, negative, negative for like few of them that i paid. But I got one common theme that gave me encouragement. They said, boy, if you could pull this off, this story, this is unlike anything we've ever heard. And so I thought, yeah, that's how I feel. The story is unlike anything anyone's ever heard, but maybe my way in which Putting different players in it was difficult to film and budgetarily constraining. So where it all led to was after I got all that feedback, you could either be crushed with the feedback or say, okay, how do I use this constructively? And I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. I'm just going to tell the story. It's almost like a very MVP type product. What's the minimal way I can get this on the market just to see if people think the theory of the story is good. And so my brother-in-law was gracious to film it edit it and get it out there. And yeah, so it was, it was a couple of us who were working on the script, filming, editing, and, uh, really, really pulled it all together. And then my friend Chris helped us market it and boy, it's, it's amazing what social media can do. So I learned a lot about social media marketing over the past couple of years, pushing this out. And now a number of different entities and organizations are using it also to, uh, share a, about a story that few people have ever heard that I think makes sense of some of the craziness in the world, but is not overly, you know, forcefully religious. Uh, it's it's very thought provoking in the way it's done. So, uh, yeah, I uh, the creative process, boy, it can be delicate. You can attach yourself to something, but uh, but it's fun. It's fun to see something come alive when you've been a part of it and raised it up.
0: Yeah, totally. And I really appreciate your answer. You know, it's it's funny, I was telling some friends about Love and War, and you might be interested in their feedback, because when they got watching it, the word they used was they binge watched the entire series that you put together. They just couldn't stop Mm -hmm. watching it from beginning right to the last episode. And so they've obviously loved it. And you know, what you've been sharing is actually really interesting, because being a creative is not an easy journey. And people don't often see the resistance people can get when they're trying to put out a creative idea or bring something from concept to reality, and you've obviously faced a number of challenges, maybe a few setbacks along the way, but nevertheless, you persevered because you believed in this project. A lot of creative ideas might die out just simply because people get discouraged or they feel there's no point pursuing their project, but you didn't give Mm -hmm. up on it. So what made you really persevere? I know you believed in this idea, but I think people who are listening to this podcast would really benefit from seeing what makes you push ahead, even in times of resistance or in times of setbacks. You've also consulted with people who are working in Hollywood to give you feedback on this. Maybe a lot of people wouldn't do something like that, as in venture out with boldness to see how they could get the feedback that they really need to make this a high quality product. So, you know, how how do you put yourself in a point of risk, you know, where you're willing to give yourself feedback and willing to encounter setbacks to make this kind of quality that you always dreamed it would be? Yeah, that's a good question. I was,
1: I probably, I would have to give credit to my parents who kind of raised me, always encouraging me, I could do anything, try anything. And That came with trying a lot of things that were failures, some that were mediocre successes, some that were successes. And and to me, I kind of just started to enjoy the journey of it. Not that success was a destination, but that it's the desire to keep trying. So, earlier you mentioned all a lot of the things I've done seem disconnected. It's very true. For me, it's like routine is boring. Tomorrow somebody said, hey, you don't have any experience in this, but we want to design the best toilets in the world. You want to join us? I'd probably say, yeah, sounds fun. Sounds different. So, yeah, I guess I kind of got familiar through life with failure is just, oh, this way didn't work. But I'm sure there's another way. I was totally impacted by Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, one of the youngest female billionaires ever. She said her dad, when she was young, would never celebrate her victories or wins or successes. He would only celebrate her failures. And I mean, like throw her a party when she lost her first business, when she got fired from her first job, you know, these ideas that, wow. Wow. If you're not afraid of failure to the point of it's a, it's a party, it's like it's such a different feeling. Where so many people attach themselves to, boy, if I fail, what will people think of me? And uh, for me, I'm I'm blessed that I don't know. I just grew up in an environment where failure was quitting. So as long as you're trying and learning, that's just uh, some good research and development.
0: <laughs> and that's great because I think that kind of philosophy has really served you well. I mean, all these projects you've been involved in. I've got to say, by your age, a lot of people haven't ventured into these kind of things. I would describe you as an entrepreneur. Uh, A lot of people are just, you know, happy to be stuck in a safe box. You know, we just follow the normal routine of life. People might go to high school, finish that up, go to university, do the -the run-of-the-mill kind of degree, get a safe career. And they think, all right, well, as long as I've got a safe job, get married, get two kids, you know, get a house, I guess I'm set. I'm like most average people. But I think a lot of people today are questioning that kind of routine career life, you know, with so many options, people are wanting to step outside of their comfort zones and try something different. But a lot of people are afraid but you haven't been daunted by that. How did your parents go about instilling that value in you? You talked about Sarah Blakely with Spanx, and that's an awesome story. But
1: what about yourself? Like, How did your parents instill that value in you and letting you know that failure was okay? They weren't college educated, so they just kind of learned to hustle themselves. So I kind of grew up around watching them. They were really generous, so they would shared the blessings they got with other people. And my dad was just always, hey, let's try it. So it was like this continual thirst for trying new things. And I probably just have carried it through life. And curiosity
0: is really, really vital because that's a quality that's often lacking today. Uh, Like I said, the older we get, people say the less curious we become. And uh, children are the most curious of all creatures. You know, they're curious about everything. They want to keep learning new things. And I think one of the best things we can do as adults is to learn from their curiosity and not let that die out as we get older, but to let that continue to grow. And I believe we've kind of done that. You know, when when it comes to developing a creative project, you know, like what you have been doing for many, many years, what is your goal at the outset? A lot of people may be hoping for recognition or success. Doesn't sound like that's what you're interested in. So what's what's driving you when you're
1: taking on a creative project? Mm, I would say, uh, one, what can I learn from this personally that I have yet to learn in life? Another is what can I bring to this that someone else couldn't? I've really liked the idea lately of we should only be doing things in life that someone else can't do. We would definitely all be niching up. Boy, it'd be great if we could focus more on what we're good at. I think we could bless the world more being really good at something. But so yeah, I think I think those are a couple of things. What can I learn? What can I bring to the table that somebody else can't? And the thing for me lately is what kind of team can you bring to this that can create this and make it sustainable and fun? To me, the greatest element of any organization these days is, does everybody love working at the organization and does it seem to reap results? If it does, you'll keep those people around, you'll attract more people and you'll keep growing. You know, for someone who's looking to be a little bit more creative, you know, what
0: advice would you have for them? I think you've already shared quite a lot of advice, but, you know, maybe they're wanting to start a podcast of their own or grow the presence of their church or organization online, starting a t-shirt business. I don't know. But, you know, do you have any advice for someone who's listening to you and saying, hey, you know, how can I get started? What can we learn from some of the great leaders around, you know, in our world
1: right now, people who might be inspiring you? Uh, I would say you got to start, you got to do something. If, if you think you've got the best recipe for the next food, start making it, start taking it to people, find people that don't know you, don't like you, who will pay you money, will drive across town for that food or product or service. Get real feedback. Don't let it live in the land of theory too long. But yeah, I think too many times we just sit on ideas forever and it's like, just try it. The world's moving so fast that next year, somebody will have made a million dollars on your idea or a billion dollars, you know, who knows? So I think whatever idea you have, don't be afraid that someone's going to steal it. I remember reading a book, I think it's called, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want To Be. And one of the ideas was never hide or hold your ideas. Be the person that people know, oh, they got so many ideas, you just need them in the room and there will be more, more ideas. So never to think like, oh, Vikram, this is my best idea. I can't even tell you, I'm trying to keep it a secret. Like when anybody tells me that, I'm like, That's never going to make you a success in life. Like you got to have so many ideas. You're just an idea factory where you launch today as a company that does X. And as the world changes drastically, you know how to adopt and change. And by that, you have ideas and you know how to generate ideas. Ideas to me are currency and they beget better ideas. I'll tell you one big thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is, is how much your personal health goes into your ability to think better than anyone else. Power of sleep power of exercise. Uh, I think the power of eating a lot of nutrients. So for me, that's a plant-based diet. Don't get the food secondhand from the animals. Get it firsthand from the plants. Uh, I've been into ice baths a lot the last year. That's been revolutionary. Uh, so I think there's ways in which we can stay at the top of the game. Physical health is a huge one. Spiritual health, you know, if you've got anger to people, you're not going to be the brightest person in the room. You're Anger is going to be eating you alive. If there's people that you need to forgive or that you need to go ask for forgiveness from, you've got to have no baggage to be free, at peace, to think. When people are afraid or they're burdened or they're stressed, it does not unlock creative potential. So there's something about feeling nurtured, loved, like what's the worst that could happen? I lose everything. My real friends still love me. Maybe my family still loves me. And I'm homeless. Well, but people love me and I can find out a better world tomorrow. Like, I think too many people are just scared of something, whatever the world's thing. And it's like the world, half the world isn't even real. (laughs) Whatever we think of it is probably not accurate. But the other half is just trying to live a life that looks good on social media, but it's not even real. So uh, I'm a big fan of do all you can to have the sharpest mind, be unselfish, go out of your way, give people the better end of the deal, all the rules that may break the business world's selfishness paradigm, the world of tomorrow, the economy of tomorrow, not only on this world but in Earth 2.0, it's going to run on a totally different set of values that selfishness has nothing to be a part of.
0: That's awesome. I think you've just shared so much dynamite information there. I think this is something that I'm going to have to chew on quite a while. I wanted to actually focus on the farm in which you're living right now and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that because is this one of your projects? Is this one of your creative dreams that's now come to fruition? I mean, how did this get started for you and your wife to move from an urban area to now living in the countryside?
1: Tell me a little bit about that. We were motivated, we had read a book, uh, the title of the book is Education, and that book described something, the two things most favorable for character development are the caring for plants and animals. We're like, well, character is the essence of life. Like, for us, that's the meaning of life. Just like a plant growing to its maturity, we were convinced, character is all you got. So we're like, we need more of that. We can't live in the suburbs with the hustle and bustle and expect the human body to be all it can be with what peace of mind and low noise and low light pollution, all these benefits. So for us, it was, okay, we got to find that. In the fracturing world we live in, it was... Felt like a more sustainable idea, so we grow as much of our food as we can. Tons of blueberries and fruit trees and gardens and things. Uh, we got a whole bunch of animals. We don't eat the animals. So a lot of people are like, "What do you mean? Why do you have all these animals?" Well, to care for them, to love them, to put up with their antics, and to buy food for them. For us, it's been all the difference. Mm-hmm. To anyone out there looking to be creative, oh man, do you think about how many? You just go online and Google. How did the rich? escape. What do they do when they go on vacation? They just, they get away from it all. You hear that some of these most, most successful executives go on these long walks in the woods and they get their best ideas. Like there's something about getting in touch with nature that makes your life all the better. So yes, a lot of those things were motivations for us. It was seven years in the making and we finally found a place and built a little house and it's always a continual project. Our joke is we're getting there. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, you know, it just sounds
0: like you guys are having so much fun where you are. You've got a little girl now as well. And, you know, maybe that's part of your creative journey as well. You know, raising a child is probably the most creative thing you probably do. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that you're getting involved in right now. And, you know, when you look at the Bible and you see examples of people who are creative, you know, what do you think made them so creative? And other people that you take inspiration from within the Bible?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. So, there's a story well, I would say this, if you go through the Bible and you start to see like, what's the common ingredient of a lot of these men and women that are fearless leaders and like are very principle driven, like their ethics, their their consciences guide their decisions, even, even in the face of death. They, most all of them, if not all of them, grew up in nature, not in the downtown scenario. They grew up around animals, plants, spent time with family, and they really, they weren't forced to be... The mold of the world. It was okay to be different. So, for me, that's inspiring. Um, I look at the story of Solomon. It was just pretty fascinating. Solomon, it's almost like the genie in the bottle of pop culture, but God comes to him in a night and says, all right, I'll give you whatever you want. Ask me for something. And he says, I want wisdom. I want to know how to judge this people that I don't even know how to go out and come in. And God says, all right, because you asked for that, you didn't ask for money or riches or all these different things. I'll give you everything else too. And when the Queen of Sheba comes to him, I heard of all his fame, heard of all his wisdom. She describes how she didn't hear the half of it. And the way she understood that was, she said, I saw how your servants were dressed. I saw how they were seated. I saw how they treated each other. I mean, she, you got to get some of the idea. The experience I felt when I was around you spoke to the wisdom of your faith. And I think that's what anyone professing faith in scripture needs to be obsessed with. This faith you profess must make you the best thing on planet earth. If it does not, no one has a reason to think your faith is any better than having no faith. So if you profess to be a Christian and you're not the most patient person people know, take take note that your faith isn't working well. If you're unkind, if you're inconsiderate, like I really think, those who profess the Christian faith, the faith of the Bible, should be the sharpest in any industry, the most loving, unselfish, successful. Because they operate on a different set of principles that have a long view rather than a short view. They'll be the healthiest, they'll be the longest living, all these different things that are promised if you live on different principles. And uh, Solomon's story is fascinating because Sheba specifically started to see it. Now, when he lost his values, his whole kingdom nearly disappears because people look to him. So I think that's another important of leaders. Leaders have to hold themselves to a higher standard than anyone else and allow people the freedom to not live up to their standard yet. But that leader needs to hold him or herself to a standard that is unparalleled in the world today.
0: That's awesome. You've been sharing about uh, many different books you've been reading. I mean, uh, what's currently on your book list and what kind of books are you typically reading to generate creative ideas for yourself?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I've been reading a book lately called The Desire of Ages. So, yeah, if, you know, if you're going to be a leader, it's like, hey, there's an individual that has three billion humans that say they'd w- be willing to die for their leader named Jesus. What in the world? Seems like nobody could be a better leader than that. Uh, and only, only really made his presence known for three years in history. So, I've been reading that. But uh, I've got a few books that I love. One is called The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers. It's about making every moment remarkable and how you have to break the script to do it. That's a phenomenal book. Another one is called Powerful by Patty McCord. She was like the chief culture officer at Netflix, so that one fascinates me. But but anyway, yeah, lots of lots of good books on my shelves. Uh, wish I had more time to read. Probably need to make more time. Hey Jared, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: I've really enjoyed the conversation. Who knows, you know what your future holds. But it's exciting to see your development. And for you, it's just been an ongoing thirst for knowledge, curiosity, trying to do things you've never done before. And I think that's really what's been the theme of your life. You're not satisfied with the status quo. You want to try new things. You want to break new boundaries. And I think that's what makes life interesting. I remember I was listening to a podcast before, and uh, this person is known around the world for being an entrepreneur. He's very philanthropic. He invests in a lot of different projects. And when when he was asked, you know, what drives him to grow his curiosity, uh, this person said that he wants to live his life with a sense of anticipation, you know, he doesn't want to be settled for the status quo. He always wants to take a risk and to see what's going to happen. Even if he gets rejected, he doesn't mind. As long as there's something he's waiting for, something that he's hoping for, that's kind of drives him onward and forward. And I sense that with your life as well. It's pretty amazing. I hope that everyone who's listening will realize the benefit of being creative, stepping out of your comfort zones, trying something that you haven't done before, being willing to experience failure, take risks. And I believe Jared, you've been experiencing all of those things. And as a result, you've actually left behind a wonderful legacy. And even though you're so young, you've experienced so many things in your life that a lot of people would not have experienced. I think this is something incredible that a lot of young people can look up to and learn from and to realize that there is a potential for growth in their own lives. And so thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you somewhere down the track. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.